0: Welcome to the Crossview Church message of the week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. How are you doing? It's good to be together. Wow. Uh, Worship team, thanks for leading us this morning. It's always fun when I get to to participate and play bass. I used to do that a lot, and so I've just kind of shaken off the rust a little bit lately, and it's really great. I have had just a great sense of the Lord's presence in our times together during worship over these last several weeks. If you were here with us last week, we had a really powerful uh, time of, of prayer and worship, uh, which lingered for a while after our service uh, last week. And uh, I'm just thankful for the Lord meeting us in those ways. And so would you just join me even just inviting the Lord into this place again this week, uh, in this moment, in that same way. Let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, We're grateful that we get to be uh, together in this place to worship, to pray, to focus our heart and mind on you, on your scriptures. Uh, Anchor us this morning in the movement of your Holy Spirit. Uh, Draw us to yourself. Uh, Help us open to you and be reflective and listening. And we're grateful, Jesus, uh, for the way that you move in us, through us, among us. And we love you. And in your name we pray, amen. Well, we're in a series on the book of Acts and uh, we're going to jump ahead a couple of chapters uh, from last week. We will end our Acts series, I promise. (laughs) We're going to do Acts all the way up, uh, right up to to Easter time or Holy Week, um, and then we'll move on to something uh, different after that, but we are going to, we're going to skip a lot of stuff here in these few chapters that we're, we're jumping over. Uh, last week we were in chapter 12 and we looked at Peter's miraculous release from prison uh, and uh, it, uh, we kind of focused on the church, the early church, and prayer. We're gonna be moving to the uh, chapter 15 this morning, so I encourage you to go read those chapters that we missed. There's a lot in there. I'll give a little bit of, of kind of walk uh, through, but just real briefly. Ever since the beginning of our series, I know I've said this week after week, that we have watched in the book of Acts as the gospel has moved further away from Jerusalem, closer to the ends of the earth, closer to us. Uh, we've celebrated as we've watched the gospel encounter people in the synagogues, as, uh, or people like the Ethiopian official, uh, Cornelius, the Roman military officer, and all the people that he gathered and, and invited over to his house to hear from Peter. You remember that. Uh, we've, we've watched as God has provided for his church, helping them in the midst of hardships and difficult situations. Uh, last week, like I said, we looked at the miraculous release of Peter from prison and the, the persecution of the early church that was raised up to the state level, if you remember that, at the hands of King Herod. Uh, we've, we've reveled in the fact that, that, uh, that uh, even though the disciples have been seen as fumbling around a little bit, not quite doing everything right, uh, that God still moved powerfully in His church, through His church, and that's still true of us today. Amen? <laughs> Amen. With all of this celebration in mind, one of the things we have to recognize as we read through the book of Acts is that it wasn't always easy the early church still had to work through some really difficult situations and transitions uh, in the way that they thought about things, especially and who was included in the family of God and how they got there. You, you, uh, today we're going to be in, the, uh, in Acts 15, uh, I said, and you can't talk about Acts without talking uh, about a, a kind of seminal uh, argument or controversy that they were trying to work through. One of the major issues that the church had to wrestle with throughout the book of Acts was the issue of circumcision. Or, in other words, what was the mark of someone who was truly part of the family of God? That is the question that they were wrestling with. So much of this started uh, when Peter visited Cornelius back in chapter 10. And you remember Peter had this vision from God that told him that he could eat all these foods he wasn't supposed to eat and that he could actually go to, into Cornelius' house and, and visit with them and, and preach the gospel to them. Cornelius was a Roman military officer. They were Gentiles. They were supposed to be, they were, the Jewish people or, or the historic family of God wasn't, have to, wasn't supposed to have anything to do uh, with these people. But Peter. Uh, visited with Cornelius, ate with him and the people in his house, his family, preached the gospel, and all those Romans that day came to Jesus and were filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter then, in the next chapter, he had to go explain himself to the apostles and the other believers in Acts chapter 11. We mentioned this last week, but we'll read a little bit of it here. In the first four verses of chapter 11, it says, Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that that Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and you even ate with them, they said. Then Peter told them exactly what happened. And I won't read through all of the beginning part of of chapter 11. It's essentially a retelling of what happened in chapter 10. Again, I encourage you to go uh, read that. But after Peter retold the story to all those who were listening, then it says this in in verse 17. And since God gave gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I to stand in God's way? When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. Praise the Lord. That's good news, right? It's especially good news for us. because we're part of that group that's not historically part of that family of God. So from this point on, especially as the gospel is preached uh, to, no, to many non-Jewish people, we keep hearing things like this. Verse 20 says this, that some of the believers who went to Antioch, we talked about there, these other towns that the gospel was moving to, Some of the other believers went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene and began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. This is exciting and good news. A new precedent has seemingly been set. It was seemingly agreed upon after Peter told the apostles and the other disciples what had happened with Cornelius. Gentiles were now allowed into the family of God. But the question was, the question that they wrestled with was, to what extent <laughs> could non-Jewish people now uh, become fully part of God's family, uh, able to in, in, it be incorporated into that historic family of God with all of its inheritances? That's the question. There was a difference of opinion upon the, uh, on this in the early church. It wasn't easy. N. T. Wright, one of the scholars we've been uh, tracking as we've been uh, looking at this act series, he says this: the charges against Peter when he got back to Jerusalem were serious, and this uh, and his defense was every bit as vital for clearing the air and establishing a new position from which to go forward. He goes on to say, Peter replies to them by telling them the story from the top once more, showing at every step how the Holy Spirit had left him with no alternative but to do what he did, both going to Cornelius' house, accepting his hospitality, and then in particular baptizing him and his household into the family of God. It's a new day. (laughs) But the major concern, which we see pop up again here in a big way in Acts chapter 15, is what uh, was, the the concern was, were these Gentiles... um, that these Gentiles had been admitted as full members of, God, of uh, the new and rap- uh, rapidly developing Jesus family without having to become Jewish first. <laughs> that is, without being circumcised, or, which was the historic sign of belonging to the covenant family of God. Acts 15, one, verses 1-2. One through two. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch, Syria, some men from Judea arrived, and began to teach other believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas took issue with this to an extreme way. It says Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the Apostles and the elders about this question. I know we're kind of... this is it's important to understand this because this shapes a lot of what is, is written about in the New Testament, uh, even going on here from the book of Acts. So I know, hang in there with me as we kind of work through this thing. You'll see there's a pretty amazing uh, truth and reality for us as we, uh, as we see the response here from the apostles and the disciples. Uh, another uh, New Testament scholar that we've been looking at, his name is John Stott. He wrote this, Gentile converts were becoming welcome into, the fe- uh, into fellowship by baptism without circumcision. They were becoming Christians without having to become Jews. They were retaining their own identity and integrity as members of other nations, and it was one thing for the Jerusalem leaders to give their approval for the conversion of the Gentiles. It's okay if you believe in Jesus, (laughs) but maybe you're just not fully part of the family of God, right? with all of the inheritances. So he said it was one thing for the Jerusalem leaders to give their approval to the conversion of the Gentiles, but could they approve The conversion without circumcision of faith in Jesus without commitment to Judaism. He goes on to say, was their vision big enough to see the gospel of Christ, not as a reform movement within Judaism, but as good news for the whole world and the church of Christ, not as a Jewish sect within Judaism, but as the international family of God. (laughs) These were revolutionary questions which some were daring to ask. And it made a huge difference on the trajectory of the church in the world. This was a pivotal moment for the early church, and it still speaks powerfully to us today. Would the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ be for everyone, or would it be just a slight adjustment for Jewish believers? Would the family of God actually include people from vastly different areas of the world, from vastly different cultures with different traditions, uh, with very different political affiliations? Could the family of God include people who eat different foods or like different music? Could the family of God include people who want to clap on one and three instead of two and four? (laughs) I'm being silly about that, but you get the point, right? You see, most of the stories that we've heard up to this point um, in Acts, we love. They're exciting because we love them partly because we're mostly seeing um, God remaking people, individual people, as they encounter the gospel message. But now what we're seeing, uh, what's clear in this chapter is that it seems that God is remaking the church (laughs) and that's less comfortable, isn't it? (laughs) Especially for the people who are wrestling with these issues. Paul and Barnabas, so, so back to the story. Paul and Barnabas, they, they arrive in Jerusalem. They're sent by the people in, this town, in Antioch with the, this controversy. They're sent back to Jerusalem to kind of figure it all out together. And so they begin to report all that God had done through them. And not long after they start to share some stories about what God has been doing, then this argument starts up all over again, this time in Jerusalem. In Acts 15, verses 4 through 6, we read this. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and the elders. They reported everything that God had done through them. And then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles uh, and elders met together to resolve this issue. Now there's a lot we could talk about in all of this stuff, but there was a, one thing that's important to, to notice here, and we see this a couple of times in Acts 15, is that there's a group of Jewish believers. They're called the, they're called, uh, the sect of Pharisees, so they're, they're still practicing Jewish members, but they believe in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Praise the Lord, that's what Paul's trying to do, right? He goes to the synagogues first, but then they have to wrestle with this change. It goes on in verse seven, and it says this. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. And we love this. Peter is doing this all the time, right? He's always standing up and talking to groups of people. It's great. So Peter says this, Brothers, all, uh, you all know that God chose me from among you uh, some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts. And he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. One thing that sometimes we miss when we're reading about this is that early, uh, the the practice of faith early on here, that the idea of a heart religion was foreign to them. The idea that God was actually concerned about the condition and feeling of your heart, (laughs) that was brand new in here in Christianity to this. It's like you think about it's tax time, right? You think about the IRS saying to us, yeah, we're going to tax you, but we want to make sure, uh, what we want to see is, is your heart willing to give us the money? (laughs) No, they just want the money. They don't care, (laughs) right? (laughs) They don't care if you have it in your heart to pay your taxes. This was a major difference here for the early Christian faith here when Paul starts talking about how God changes hearts. Ancient religion was all about power and authority and, and, and laws and rules and position and money. This was brand new. This is important to notice. because We'll see why in just a moment. So God knows people's hearts and he confirmed that he accepts the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He sa- it says, uh, he, he made no distinction between us and them for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were ever able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of our Lord Jesus. And here is one of the first times in the book of Acts that we understand or hear about grace <laughs> and what it does in the transformation of people's hearts and what it's doing in the church to this moment. at this moment. Peter's exchange with Cornelius, way back in chapter 10, uh, the way that God moved in that house on that night made a few things very clear to Peter that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised Messiah of the law of Moses, and the law can't do what happened that day. (laughs) Only God can. In fact, he's seen even more clearly that the law, as they've tried to maintain it, is a burden and a hindrance to people coming to God. That God changes the heart through his grace and the movement of the Holy Spirit, which was an aha thing for Peter and vitally important for the early church. And it is for us today, still here and now as we sit in this room. Peter's meaning when he's talking about the law was that the law wasn't something that the Jews had been able to fulfill. It had proven inadequate, an, iniqu- an inadequate basis for salvation. Neither they nor their fathers or their ancestors were able to fully keep the law and, and try, as they did, to try to win acceptance of God. It needed to be different, and it was different in Jesus. The law could not save them. Only one thing faith, believing in the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whew. Later in the book of Ephesians, Paul, who is, you know, Paul and Barnabas are there in the meeting, right? Peter's the one who's speaking, but Paul is there in the room somewhere listening to Peter speak. So Paul, we know we've kind of tracked through Saul to Paul, right? In the chapters that we skipped, I'm really sorry about this because it's kind of cool, but in the chapters that we just skipped, that's when Saul starts to be called Paul, okay? So we're kind of past our Saul phase into our Paul, our Paul phase. Um, but in the, uh, Paul is hearing Peter speak. And in his letters to the Ephesians later on in the New Testament, Paul uh, will write this. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God is so rich in his mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. We couldn't do it on our own. He goes on to say in uh, chapter, uh, verse eight and nine, you guys, you know these verses. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for it. Uh, This is a gift from God, which was a brand new idea back then in terms of like moving away from the law, right? Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done so that none of us can boast about it. We've tried it, it didn't work. God did something different. He starts the next section by saying in verse 11, This is still Paul. Don't don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. Do you see how this is all coming together? In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among uh, the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises that God had made to them. You lived in this world uh, without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people in his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and its regulations. This is unbelievably important stuff. He, he, he continues, he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups by, uh, to God by means of his own death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. Hallelujah. I'm in awe of this as we we understand the context and what was happening in this moment. This is inspiring. It's anchoring in our faith because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. One of the commentaries I read this week talked about the fear of the Jewish believers, that their system of of belief and practice, their long-held identity and and traditions uh, uh, were being torn down, and that they were fighting with everything they could to stop that from happening. And the truth is, the old ways were being torn down. Uh, Peter is arguing that they need to be torn down. They're not working. Why would we ask someone else to do something that we ourselves could never do? Back to Acts. And this, uh, uh, at this point of the story, as we, in Acts 15, at this point of the story, it says everyone's listening quietly. (laughs) Uh, Barnabas and Peter share a few more stories of what God has done in and through their ministry. Uh, And then James stood up to speak. James, Uh, this is James, the brother of Jesus. James had not, we know from James' story that James had not believed in Jesus or followed him during Jesus' public career, but we know that Jesus had appeared to James in a special and separate occasion after his resurrection. What's pretty amazing is that James, by all account, became far and away the most prominent leader of the first generation of Christianity following his encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And as time went on, he required a a pretty significant reputation for great faith and devotion. And that reputation didn't matter of those who were believers or not. Everyone knew that about James. And so in the midst of this conversation, they all look and say, Hey, James, what do you think about all this? (laughs) So James stands and he quotes something powerful from the Old Testament. Here's what he says. This is Acts 15, 16 through 19, but this is actually a passage from the Book of Amos. He says this, he's he's quoting from Amos, Afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild... Sorry. I will rebuild its broken ruins and restore it, so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. (laughs) All those I have come I have called to be mine the Lord has spoken. He who made these things known so long ago and then he says this. This is incredible. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Whew. James looks at the crowd and he quotes a prophecy from the book of Amos chapter 9 about a time when God's talking about how he will rebuild his house the house of David rebuild his family line rebuild the church uh, in a way that includes who all of the Gentiles wow and then he says that moment is here and that moment is now and it is defined by this radical grace So in answer to the Jewish fears about is everything being torn down, what James says is, okay, actually you know what's happening. It's not just a tearing down, it's a rebuilding. (laughs) God is doing something powerful and we need to be on board. We should not make it difficult for anyone who wants to come and be part of the family of God. And it's all centered around this idea of radical grace, this new idea for them about how God shapes and changes and transforms the heart that God's spirit actually moves through that. Grace. 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 Grace is the unmerited favor and love of God that extends to everyone. In this culture, the idea of unmerited favor was that the grace was given to everyone, whether they were seen as worthy or not. I read a commentary this last week about how gift giving happens in the ancient world and in our world today. Often in the ancient world, if you were giving a gift, you wouldn't just give it to anyone, right? You'd give it to someone you would consider to be worthy. That's typically what we do when we're giving gifts at Christmas time. We don't just willy-nilly give gifts to everyone. Or when you're creating a will, you don't just say, oh, you can just give it to anyone. (laughs) You give that to people who have value and worth. But this idea of unmerited grace given from God to us is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, your background. You get it all. Grace is the unmerited favor and love of God that extends to everyone. Here's why this is so radical, and this is why it's so important, because God is building his church in a brand new way. Paul will later write about the grace extensively in his letters. What we find here is a boundary-breaking, radical change in how they thought about who God is, how he works, and who's included. These Gentiles are from the wrong ancestry, they have the wrong ideas about God, they have the wrong way of life, and yet God gives his spirit to them. God doesn't follow our criteria for how we think he should do things, right? Praise the Lord, because we'd mess it up. He then makes it possible for Paul and the early church to create communities that cross social and ethnic boundaries of the day, because things that are normally give people their worth—we like education, their social status, their ancestry, their social capital, how well or they know or follow the law, whether they're circumcised or not—those things are not what matter any longer. This radical grace transforms hearts, breaks down barriers, creates unique communities, and unites us all through faith in Jesus. That is what should still mark us as individuals, as we follow Jesus, and as a church community. (laughs) It is still defining of who we are. So the question is, does it? When you think about your life with God, the way that you follow is this idea of radical, Uh, Grace, does that mark part of who you are? And does that mark who we are here as a church as well? One of my favorite authors, Brendan Manning, writes about grace. He says this, grace is indiscriminate compassion. (laughs) It works without asking anything of us. It's not cheap, but it is free. Grace is, is sufficient even though we huff and puff with all our might and try to find something or someone it cannot cover. Grace is enough. He is enough. Jesus is enough. Amen? Worship team, would you come on back up? So as we think of the way that God is remaking people and rebuilding his church throughout the book of Acts, I can't help this week but think of uh, all that's going on in our world, right? There's plenty of judgment and anger, division and hate everywhere we look. Are we allowing God to build us up in faith in a way that's marked by this radical grace? Are we uh, able to let the radical nature of God's grace humble us when we don't live into that? (laughs) To lay down our judgments and anger and to say to someone, come and join the family. You're welcome, and you get it all. Like Peter said, we're all saved the same way (laughs) through faith in Jesus Christ. We're all in need of God's unmerited favor toward us. We all need God's grace. So, how are you putting that story on display in your life? Let's not make it difficult for people to get Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.